This is The Thomas Guide with your host, John Thomas. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us. On the line, we have a friend of the show's, Chris Whipple, uh, who has written, recently written a book entitled uh, The Gatekeepers, How the White House Chiefs of Staff Define Every Presidency. And as all of you know, um, I'm a political strategist, and I deal not just deal with chiefs, but one of the responsibilities I have as a strategist is when I get a client elected, typically it's arranging, helping arrange their staff, and that starts with the chief. Chris, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So uh, a couple questions here. I mean, your book basically, as, as I can see it, underscores the importance of a chief. Uh, what who do you think was the best chief of staff, in your opinion, or is there really such a thing? I mean, does it just depend on what the office holder needs? Yeah, you know, it's hard to overstate the the importance of the of the White House chief of staff. I mean, he he so far they've all been men, uh, but what I learned from talking to all seventeen living chiefs. Uh, uh, before the current one is that um, you know the chief really makes the difference between success and disaster for uh, for so many presidencies and you know I would say that um, James A Baker III would is probably you know he's a lock for you know best chief of staff uh, in the modern era I would say uh, Leon Panetta who was Bill Clinton's second White House chief is right up there, uh, a close second. You know, there would have been no Reagan revolution without Jim Baker. I mean, he was the complete package. He understood Capitol Hill. He was able to walk into the Oval Office, close the door behind him, and tell Ronald Reagan what he didn't want to hear. Uh, I think Panetta, who came in a year and a half into Bill Clinton's presidency, when Clinton was dead in the water, uh, you know, couldn't get any traction. Panetta, with help from his deputy Erskine Bowles, really turned that White House around. Mm -hmm. And is there, well, let me back it up. I've seen, at least in my practice, there are two structures that we see, and this uh, this is outside the White House. Um, in uh -huh. your standard congressional office, your U.S. Senate office, governor's office, there's two models. There's this strong chief uh, who is just like you said. I mean, over is is more than just a gatekeeper. I mean, protects the uh, the office holder, uh, really helps drive the agenda of Executes the office. Executes the agenda, yeah. Right. Uh, then then the other model I've seen, uh, and and perhaps it is different because uh, these aren't White House model. This isn't a White House model. But the other model is a strong director of communications, where they're the person who's really kind of the I call like the strategist of the office. You know, they're the one who's really uh, looking out for the office holder, and the chief is more of an implementer than a strategist. In the in the ones that you interviewed, did you consider them to be strategists as well as implementers? Yeah, I think I listen, I think presidents run into trouble when they try to make their political strategists uh White House chiefs. I mean, they're two very different skill sets. Ham Jordan was the one of the most brilliant political strategists who ever lived uh under Jimmy Carter. He wrote that famous 59-page memo about how to make a peanut farmer president. Um and he was brilliant as a political strategist. He was a disaster as first the de facto White House chief and then the actual White House chief. Uh, and he was finally replaced by Jack Watson, who was very effective. You know, I think, um, you know, it's what you can have a Karl Rove. You can have uh, 
a political strategist um, in the White House, but you can't make the mistake of making that person the White House chief in charge of all of the many things the White House chief has to do. Mm-hmm. So, so would you, uh, in this case, would you applaud the structure that President Trump has with, uh, at least as far as he he's in in office right now? I mean, no, so far it's it's day, a formula but... for failure, and we've already seen it's it's the most dysfunctional White House in modern history. It's and... it's reminiscent of, I mean, it's 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 a, it's a structure that cannot work in the White House. It's reminiscent of of Jerry Ford's White House in the first month. Ford had this idea that he could run the White House the same way he ran his office as, as House Minority Leader. Uh, he called it the spokes of the wheel, where five or six advisors with equal access come and go. Nobody's empowered as first among equals. It was a disaster. It was chaos. It was dysfunction. Within a month, Ford reached out desperately to get Don Rumsfeld to come in and really, you know, discipline the White House and and turn it around, which which Rumsfeld did quite successfully. Anyway, you know, this is governing is tough. It's not like running a family real estate firm in Manhattan. You can't do it with five or six guys running around and and fighting each other. You have to empower a chief of staff, and every president has learned that lesson often the hard way. And, and in your opinion, you don't believe that Reince Priebus uh, has been empowered with that level of authority. You think it's just uh, there's Reince and Kellyanne and Steve Bannon. They all kind of are. Yeah, are it's clear that nobody's and- been empowered. It's clear that nobody's in charge, uh, and that may be the nature of the president. Uh, it, you know, it may. It, Donald Trump may be incapable of deciding that he needs a grown-up in the room. Uh, that he can't make those decisions himself and and simply run the White House himself. Every president who's tried it, it's been a disaster. Um, if if Trump wants to be Jimmy Carter uh, or Jerry Ford and, and be a one-term president, he should continue doing exactly what he's doing um, because that's a sure way to get there. Is it is it an important trait of, of a chief, in your opinion, to have been a chief before? No, I think, you know, I think successful chiefs are, you know, have a number of different qualities. One of them I would I would argue that's really important is being grounded, being comfortable in your own skin, being having been around the block. Uh, Obviously, knowing Capitol Hill is important. Um, You know, Jim Baker was a 50 year old, smooth as silk, Texas lawyer with nothing to prove. He could walk into the Oval and tell Ronald Reagan what he didn't want to hear. I think Panetta, who had been a congressman and an OMB director, had that kind of gravitas as well and could do it with Bill Clinton. That's really key. There's no indication so far that Wright's Priebus is a Jim Baker. Interesting. If you if you could pluck somebody out of wherever they are today and install them as Trump's chief, I mean, who who would you – well, you, you know, that? I don't want to. I don't want to play personnel director for for Donald Trump. I mean, I think, <laughs> look, it could be. It it could well be Mission Impossible for Trump. Uh, we will find out. You know, when Priebus um, back in December, Priebus was uh, invited to the White House along with ten former White House chiefs. They all came in at the invitation of Dennis McDonough, the outgoing chief, and they sat around the table and they gave him advice. 
and they all were consistent about one thing, that it cannot work unless Priebus is first among equals in the White House staff. Priebus dutifully took notes, but the chiefs went away feeling this could be, given the, the president that he's serving, this could be a Herculean task, which so far it has proved to be. You know, I've, I've seen with friends of mine having the same challenge uh, they were being considered for the communications director, um, many of who are very well qualified, but it really had nothing to do with the qualifications of them. It was could they operate in this kind of White House that might not listen to their advice? No, and, and I think the answer is no, unless there's an empowered chief that they can report to. You know, Jim Baker, uh, <clears throat> Leon Panetta, Erskine Bowles, these guys, even Rahm Emanuel, I would say these guys were experts in communication. They could drive home the administration's message every day and make sure everybody was on the same page. You can't do that unless you have an empowered chief of staff who can say, as Erskine Bowles said to me, look, you know, if, if Bob Reich was in Kansas City and Bob Rubin was at Wall Street, they had to have the same – they had to be on the same page. That's the only way you, you can govern. And I think the director of communications needs to get that message from the chief. Now, is it in – in selecting a chief, if the president is a soft touch, do you want the chief to come with the hammer and vice versa? Or is it always – Good to have a chief like uh, Rahm Emanuel, who's known for his, you know, fiery temper and whipping people with towels in the, you know, in the men's yeah. locker room. I mean, it, what kind well, you of know, personality? A lot of, a lot of that stuff with Rahm was, it was for show, you know. Um, but I think that, you know, you really need, no matter who the president is, you don't have to have, you know, Haldeman was called the poop perfect son of a bitch, and to some extent, you have to be, but. You can do it as Leon Panetta did with, famously, with an iron fist and a velvet glove. Uh, Jim Baker did the same thing. But one thing is pretty obvious, and that is this president, more than any of his predecessors, needs an empowered chief of staff, a grown-up in the room who can tell him, for example, that repeal and replace Obamacare was a loser from the get-go. They didn't have the votes who can explain how executive orders work. Right now, this is just complete chaos and, you know, ineptitude that's off the charts. Well, I, th I think, Chris, you hit it, especially with the, the, the travel ban, repeal and replace. Um, I, I think there's probably enough response, uh, blame to spread around, whether it's, you know, Steve Bannon or whatnot, of giving some political advice, but doesn't, you know, obviously the buck stops with the president at the end of the day, but, but really internally, it's the chief. Yeah, it's the chief. I mean, Jim Baker had something called the Legislative Strategy Group. He called it the LSG. Uh, a lot of effective chiefs have tried to imitate it um, in subsequent years. I mean, that was a group of really smart people, including Richard Darman, Ken Duberstein, the congressional liaison. Those guys could count votes. Those guys would tell Baker what was going to fly and what wouldn't. And, you know, can you imagine if Trump, for example, had, as his first big initiative, had gone to see Chuck Schumer and, you know, close the door and maybe come out with an infrastructure deal? I think the Democrats would have done it. You know, it was just completely ham-handed, uh, all of the decisions of that first, the first 30 days or so. 
Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you believe that that Ryan's can do to turn it around, uh, or is it a, co- a combination of Ryan's not being the right fit and qualified for the position and Trump's personality? Well, you know, I, um, I, I wrote a piece back in December when, when Priebus was appointed, and I suggested that, you know, he, he was going to be up against some very powerful forces, including family. And it's not the first time that's happened. I mean, Baker had to deal with Nancy Reagan, who was famously the personnel director. Mike Deaver was like family to the Reagans. And Baker handled it. He prevailed by making alliances. He befriended Nancy Reagan. He befriended Deaver. He had allies when the hard right ideologues came after him. And he prevailed. I think, but with Priebus, even if he were to somehow do all that, at the end of the day, Trump has got to empower a chief of staff, or there's little he can do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it, has the role of chief changed uh, at all over the years, uh, given technology and the faster news cycle, um, or, or is it pretty much the same nuts and bolts that it always has been? Well, I think the nature of, like the challenge has, has become even more profound. I mean, it's it's always been a a relentless, thankless, twenty four seven, unbelievably difficult job, the most difficult job in Washington. And you know, Jim Baker uh, always says that when he gets a call from a new White House chief, his first words are always, "Congratulations, you've got the worst blanking job in Washington." <laughs> Uh, that's that's more true than ever with a 24-7 news cycle, but it also makes the role of the chief even more important, in my view, uh, for a White House to function effectively. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well, Chris, uh, I really appreciate you joining us. Uh, for, those of, for those of you who didn't catch the beginning, with, uh, Chris Whipple, he, he authored a, a great book called The Gatekeepers, How the White House Chief of Staff uh, Define Every Presidency. Chris, uh, how can we find you on Twitter or uh, I assume books on Amazon, of course, but how can we? Yeah. How can we well, it's um, at, on Twitter. I'm at, at CC Whip, W-H-I-P. And I'm, my website is uh, ChrisWhipple.net, where you can find details about my book tour and all of the appearances I've made so far. Oh, Happy to report Chris. we just landed on the New York Times bestseller list. At number 15. Oh wow! Congratulations. Well, uh, well, well, well deserved. It's it's a it's a great book. I highly recommend it. Chris, thanks so much for joining us on the Thomas Guide, and I hope you have a great day. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.